from the campus of Utah State University, we bring you the Statesman Sports Desk Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Statesman Sports Desk Podcast. I'm Dalton Rinshaw and as always I'm here with Jason Walker. Jason, how's it going? Uh, could be better. Could, could be, be a lot worse, but uh, I've had time to, to digest this past Friday. And what are we thinking? I don't know if I've really gotten over it yet, but <laughs> I've, we're going to move on. It's a, it's a slow burn process, but yeah. you know, we'll come around eventually, right? Once, I think once this podcast is over and I've gotten a lot of the stuff off my chest. Granted, I've, I've written a ton of stuff already for this for the Statesman. My, now it's time for my weekly shameless plug <laughs> of yeah. my work with the Statesman on this podcast. But USUStatesman.com. Yeah. So, and, and there's just so much, you know, the... You know, being in close games, the you know performances by some of those players, and we'll go into that obviously a lot here. But there's there's just so much to say, and like I feel like once I've said it all, you know, this is my method of yeah coping this with the sports world is by yelling into a mic and uh, letting <laughs> y'all listen to, the, to yeah. the results. We hope this will be kind of a, a cathartic experience for you know most Utah State fans. We can all kind of get this through the, through the, through this together. And uh, come out the other side, better people. Yeah. But just a brief note of housekeeping. Uh, we'd like to say uh, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, it really is welcome back. Yeah, it's been been a little while, been about a month or so. We uh, had our last podcast was the uh, Mike Sanford interview. And then we had one um, that just had a little bit of technical difficulties with audio. So we're still working to get that up. Um, and then, you know, school coming in around and starting. So now we're kind of back in the groove. And so we should be back here weekly and giving you all the Utah State should comment. We, should we tease what the, what the, should uh, we? Lost, what the lost I think so. Was? I think so. It's been, it's been long enough. So yeah. it's, it's an episode we really want to get to the people because it was a great interview. A uh, great guy, Utah State guard, Sam Merrill came down for us and, uh, spent about 45 minutes with us. Great interview. So we're, we're going to, we're going to work on that. The audio got a little, little, little screwed up, but yeah. Um, it's and it's an interview that won't really be that dated. I think one or no. two parts, but they're they're still relevant. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, it was an awesome interview. I had a lot of fun there. Yeah, a nice little primer for the Utah State basketball season yeah. here in a couple months. Yeah, so you, you can get some more content after I had this deluge of basketball content yeah. for like a two week span, and then I haven't really worked back to it since. But let's not skip over uh, what what's kind of pressing and important here at the time is. Hey, Utah State still has a pretty good football team, right? Yeah, they do, and and that's that is one of the definite takeaways is that you know what they showed out decently well enough against Wake Forest. Wake Forest should be a team with a winning record this year in the ACC, and that's you know I kind of hate saying this considering all that I'm about to say and all <laughs> that I've somewhat said in written form, but you want to say it's a moral victory. At least they didn't get blown out like they did a couple years sure. back. And I'll say this: a lot of the stuff the stuff that I suspected about this team turned out to be true. Toot my own horn again, but. There were some things that I was wrong about in some of my preseason uh, predictions, but generally, the general idea I had about this team was about what we saw against Wake Forest, with yeah. obviously some variation because I'm I'm not a oh, insert famous prophet. Uh, Penn and Teller, there yeah, Nostradamus. That's what I was trying to think of. <laughs> yeah, well, let's just kind of start there, and let's kind of break down the game just a little bit um obviously if you guys haven't seen by now 38 to 35 was the final score and funny enough i think you actually in your predictions had the score 37 35 yeah. but for utah state so uh, you were pretty close you're almost there yeah i had, I had the general idea 
and I, I was kicking myself because I was like, of course, this is more of me being right on my predictions. I have an ego that way. I always want to be right. And well, I was like, I should have just, just picked Wake Forest. Now it would have been like one point off, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's just. So let's just, let's go in and kind of just talk about um, first and foremost, a couple things that might've surprised you from the game. I know one thing, and I think you'll probably touch on this a little bit too. Um, I expected Wake Forest running game to be really, really good and them to dominate the ball and, you know, run the ball a lot of times. And they did, they ran the ball 58 times against Utah state. Um, but I wasn't expecting Jamie Newman to have as good of a game as he did passing the ball. Yeah. And I think that was probably one of the biggest surprises. I didn't expect, um, Cade Carney to have a spectacular game. The game he had didn't surprise me. You know, he's good running back last year at a thousand rushing yards on like less than 160 attempts or something mm-hmm. like that. Some of that effect. So good running back, real good yards per carry average, a powerful back in the kind that'll wear you down over a game. But yeah, that. Basically, what that passing really kind of showed to me is just how the secondary is a lot worse than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I thought they were at least going to be better. I thought DJ Williams would play better. Uh, they were without Cameron Haney, and they got beat up more and more as the game went on, so that definitely hurt. But yeah, I didn't see Jamie Newman throwing for 400 yards. Yeah. He's had a couple of good games in the past, and it, and he stepped up in big ways. But 400 yards is a little excessive. 400 yards is a lot. And I thought, you know, where his involvements might be, you know, would be a lot more in the run game and kind of building, you know, building off with him and Carney and kind of a tandem and, you know, opening up some things in the passing game. But we're going to talk about it in a little bit. Like like you said, it really did open up a lot of people's eyes to maybe how depleted this Utah State secondary kind of is. And, and just some of the general matchups. I mean, there is, um, you know, almost nothing that some of those players could do with, you know, being matched up with somebody six, seven inches taller than them, right? Yeah. And that was one of the things you'll get the first touchdown DJ Williams gives up to, um, I forget exactly who it was. It was Scotty Washington, it I believe. Washington? I believe so. Correct us if we're wrong. I think Washington might have been a later one because I think the first oh, one no, might you're have right. been. Yeah, it was, it was Sage Surratt. Yeah, you're Sage, right. Yeah, Surratt, and he held on to him trying to do a deliberate pass interference. Didn't work. And then later one, which just felt like so emblematic of his night is they're throwing at Scotty Washington and Washington barely jumps, catches the ball above his head. And you see DJ Williams just jump up, you know, flapping his arm in the air, trying to go with yeah. the ball and he just lands face plant into the turf. And it's just like, yeah, that was basically his night. Mm-hmm. Five foot nine, five foot eight matched up against six foot four. Or however tall these guys are. Yeah. Just and, big receivers. I mean, like DJ Williams is probably I would say their best cornerback on the roster yeah. and you know a good cornerback voted by you know a lot of publications is going to be you know one of the Mountain West all selections at the end of the year but yeah I mean just what is there to do yeah. when you know you have a mismatch like that and um, I, I've been talking with some people and they kind of share the opinion that you know if DJ Williams were put in a position where he was maybe more of a, a slot corner or something like that and he could use his talents to you know his his best abilities and you know have two reliable guys who could you know guard people in those kind of matchups on the outside it'd probably fare better but that's just not where Utah State is right now yeah and that's where a lot of people were putting him early in the season was at uh, that nickel and they had other people at the left and right corner spots because nowadays base defenses don't run with like two corners they run with three sure and so he'd still be a starter even at that at that nickel spot. But yeah, I guess uh, Gary Anderson decided to roll with him at the outside corner, and uh, maybe that had something to do with depth. It actually probably had a lot to do with depth. Probably, yeah. And it didn't work well. And 
I don't know if there's any fault lying there on either the coaches or the players. They Williams wasn't up to the matchup mm-hmm. and he wasn't good enough, and that's just reality. I don't I don't really put a lot of blame on Williams because he's out there trying his heart out. Oh yeah, for sure. And and this doesn't mean that Williams is you know maybe a, a lesser player than we thought he would be. It's just it's, it's a tough matchup, and you know he's probably going to bounce back and just you know be the player we thought he was going to be just fine the rest of the season. Yeah, and he'll do really well in mountainless play. He's not going to face quite the talented no. receivers. No. Um, he won't be outmatched for size in most other matchups. So I think so long as we can get some injured guys back, I think you know Utah State will be fine. It's tough that we're getting so many injuries and getting so banged up in the secondary because that's like the one position group where I don't feel like Utah State can yeah. handle injuries but yeah pretty was, much every other one i feel like we can we can take a hit or two that was the one already coming into the season that you had questions about you know who's going to be playing where what's the depth going to be like and then even having somebody who looked really promising at wide receiver and cam Lampkin switching over to corner just because you know of a depth issue and um yeah so that's that's going to be another position that's just going to be really hard to keep track of throughout the season yeah. but um what what about uh some other players from the game that stood out to you <laughs> so well, the one that caught me off guard a little bit in you know how early he had a performance like this, but Jalen Warren rushing for 141 yards. Uh, the coaching staff seemed pretty adamant about Gerald Bright being the starter, and uh, despite the fact that I was I was pretty high on Jalen Warren coming in, he showed a lot of the similar hallmarks to Darwin Thompson. Obviously, not the same player, but a lot of yeah. the did well in junior college. And you look at the film; he has a lot of the tools to be good. And well, he. Played pretty well. <laughs> yeah, he played pretty well. I mean, just you I mean you just look at his game, and he broke several big runs, set up a, a couple of touchdowns, scored one himself, and you know Gerald Bright he did score one touchdown on a on a pretty good run inside the ten yard line, uh, but you know I we'll, we'll maybe touch on this a little bit later, but I think Jalen Warren is is probably going to end up having a, a lot bigger year than some people thought. Yeah. As far as uh, production. I, I think probably a lot of people, um, <laughs> you know, so I, I know a lot of people were really high on Jalen Warren coming into the season. Um, and they had a lot of expectations, obviously, with his, his pedigree being, you know, uh, an absolute dominant player in high school and then, you know, kind of dominating on the junior college level as well. Um, but there is always like a little caveat, right, of, you know, how is it going to translate? And I think people's expectations with Darwin Thompson last year kind of coming to fruition and, you know, playing really well. Um, led people to believe that this is just going to be a, a plug-and-play situation where Jalen Warren's going to come in and basically take that spot over. Now, I don't think people necessarily thought he would be taking over the starter's role, but I, don't, I think that's something maybe that we both agree might end up happening sometime through the season. Well, it, it's a miracle because last year Joel Bright was a starter and Darwin Thompson was the backup. Yeah. And it flipped by the end of the season. Granted, they were really even in terms of um, carries, more so than a lot of uh, back tandems. But, you know, and I think a lot of people are expecting Gerald Bright. You know, he ran for 888 yards. I think a lot of people are expecting him to break 1,000. To be honest, I was very much on the uh, doubt train in terms of that. Uh, no pun intended with Darwin Thompson there. Because <laughs> um, in my kind of optimistic, pessimistic predictions, I, I said Gerald Bright's not going to reach his numbers from last year. And I think Jalen Warren's going to play a big part in that. Yeah, it figures that that's going to be probably going that way. But um, something that might, you know, 
help that situation a little bit is obviously having somebody like Jordan Love to rely on to throw the ball. And, you know, he had obviously his downfalls throughout the game, but I know you're, you're actually kind of higher on this performance than maybe you, you kind of thought coming into the season. What, 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 what's kind of your, your biggest takeaway coming away from that game with Jordan Love specifically? Well, he has a lot of things to work on, but he's about as good as we were hyping in the off season. So does that mean he's now going to be the top Heisman candidate? No. He never was a Heisman candidate. Oh, uh, you're just breaking the hearts I know, of I'm, every Utah State fan. Uh, well, if if there are Utah State fans who seriously believe Jordan Love is a legitimate Heisman candidate, yeah. I'd just like to know where you're getting your Kool-Aid from. Because <laughs> I'd, I'd actually want some, to be honest. Because I'd love to believe that Jordan Love is going to be a Heisman candidate. But unless he really lights it up this season, like my highest projections end up for him end up coming true, he's not coming anywhere close. Yeah. Just there's so many things working against him. And he could be just as good as some of these other guys. He's probably not because a lot of these guys, a lot of the quarterbacks. A lot more exposure, yeah, better he, teams they're playing against. Yeah, and he has a lot tougher competition. There are some years where he might have actually had a lot better chance. Oh, sure. Because there, there are just some weak years. This year's just a super strong year. And that's the biggest reason he's not going to be Heisman is competition. Yeah, I mean, especially like you see, obviously coming into the season, you have guys like Tua, you have guys like Justin Herbert, you have guys like Jake Fromm, and then you see the weekend that Jalen Hurts had when a lot of people maybe doubted what he was going to be in that offensive system with Oklahoma, and yeah, it's just going to be, like you say, a ton of competition at quarterback this year. Yeah, but I mean, overall, you look at a guy, comes out, throws for 400 plus yards, uh, you know, sets career highs in completions and attempts in his first game, you know, the three touchdowns, really solid game. Utah State, relied on Jordan Love, and he delivered in a lot of ways. Unfortunately, there's that one thing that he did or those three things that he did that really hold him back from a lot of the praise that he deserves from that Wake Forest game. You know, those those three interceptions, <laughs> and they were all bad interceptions. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing, because last year, you could look at some of the interceptions, and even like, you look at the first time he threw three interceptions against Wyoming, I think... I don't know if any of them were actually his fault because a couple of them were drops that flew into the hands of defensive backs and a thing like that. And I think last year they were pretty similar where I think Michigan State, he threw two interceptions, but both times he got nailed as he threw. Yeah. How do you, and so, and they were like, ended up being like underthrows or, you know, the wrong distance. You can't really put that on a guy who's getting drilled by a 250 pound linebacker. You know, you can't expect that kind of accuracy. But against Wake Forest, a terrible throw in the first quarter. Inside the ten yard line, you know, he throws the ball into the end zone. I yeah, mean, it, really, kind of just an inexcusable yeah. throw. It should have been at worst an incompletion, just maybe overthrowing Jordan Nathan. Instead, Hander throws it, it's an interception, just poorly thrown ball. Second time, he doesn't really think after the snap, and he throws it basically right into the hands of the defensive back who undercuts a hitch route. Yeah. And he should have had another interception where he was thrown on a slant where he throws right into the hands of a linebacker. I mean, just he had so many bad throws in this game. But he also had a lot of good throws, which is why it's, it's really hard to grade his performance because there was so much good mixed in with a lot of bad. Right. Well, and, and a lot of that, you know, surprisingly could have been the opponent. Um, I, I know I I wasn't necessarily the highest on uh, Wake Forest defense coming into the game, but I think they kind of showed that they might not be in that like bottom tier of P5 teams. Maybe yeah. they're more towards the middle, maybe even like top of the ACC. Well, they're not in the Pac-12, so they're not on the bottom <laughs> end. But the, the last interception actually was a lot good on the defense because it was, if you can say it's the best interception he had, 
where he was trying to fit it into a window, and the I think it was a linebacker or a defensive back. I don't know exactly what position he played, but yeah, he made an excellent grab. Jordan Love just made a dangerous throw, and the uh, defender took advantage of it. Yeah. So that was a more understandable one, but still kind of hard to swallow when you throw an interception. Sure. Well, okay. So let's let's look at a couple positives because there definitely were some positives. Um, getting nine players involved uh, in the receiving game, positive. Yeah, that, that was a huge thing because that was one of the things that again, it's one of those things that I predicted. You know, again, shameless plug to <laughs> Mount Horn and whatnot. Because <laughs> the receivers we've defined receiver wise. People talked about yeah. oh, we lost so much receivers, but by spring and fall camp, you can kind of tell going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Are they going to be elite? Probably not. I think there's one case. But yeah, well, now, after week one, they're probably better than I was thinking. Yeah. I mean, C.O.C. Mariner? I think there's a very strong case that he might be one of the best receivers, and if not the Mountain West, you know, in that little sphere of, you know, G5 yeah. guys or whatever. Yeah, definitely. And he's he's going to be a favorite target of Jordan Love. Yeah. You could already see that connection developing in the first game. Yeah, right? definitely. So that's... That's huge. He's going to be better than Tarver or Green, I think. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so another positive. 400-plus yards, 416 to be exact. Yeah. It's always positive. You've only done that, what, two other times, three other times? Uh, yes. You did, I know twice. New Mexico and yeah. San Jose State. It was twice. Yep, twice last year. You're correct. Okay. Okay, another positive. 33 out of 48. Not bad passing yeah, percentage. Yeah, it's like 65-ish. If I can math real quick. I will tell you the exact number. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely... 68. 68. Almost 69. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a nice completion percentage. Right. <laughs> Positives, <laughs> right? So, uh, I would say, and, you know, I, I think you would probably say the same thing. Overall, the passing game was probably just about what we expected. Or maybe you could say a little bit better with the exception of the three interceptions, yeah. right? Yeah, with the exception of the three interceptions, I'd say it's about as good as we expected and we had high expectations. Right. So that says a lot that he pretty much met those expectations and maybe a little more. Probably weren't expecting him to throw 400 yards every game, but might get back to that. Yeah. But cause <laughs> I, I have some things to say about Jordan Love yeah. as far as what he may be able to produce this season. Okay. So speaking of that, let's kind of move on because we're already roughly 20 minutes in this and we're doing a disservice <laughs> to the team if we don't mention uh, the defense, you know, for all their shortcomings – Somebody who had an absolute monster of a game, um, David Woodward, obviously winning, uh, <laughs> winning. Funny enough, winning uh, a couple honorable, or excuse me, couple um, awards, national national honors. national honors. Thank you, um, but still no recognition from the Mountain West. But the, the Mountain West, I tweeted this out. The Mountain West continues to ignore its best defensive player, and I don't know why the heck they are. because yeah. he's probably going to be. I don't know if he'll be the top draft pick, because I think that Boise State defensive end. Yeah, um, Curtis Weavers. Th- they're really high commodities there. as far as drafts. And um, there's maybe some long-term health concerns with David Woodward, but hmm. you know he's, he's a real good linebacker. You know, it could end up being another Bobby Wagner. Yeah. And, you know, Bobby Wagner being a Hall of Fame linebacker, yeah. you might want to get Pretty good comparison. You, you might want to get in on that. Right. Um, but yeah, you, you look at a guy, David Woodward, set career highs, came – Within a few tackles of, you know, school records, Mountain West records, things like that, 24 tackles. And the weird thing is, you look at times when people get, like, 24 tackles, you're usually looking at, like, 16 of those are assisted. Right. Uh, He had 18 solo tackles. And when you look at the the, kind of the rough night a lot of players had tackling Cade Carney, you look at every time David Woodward's involved in tackling Cade Carney, 
there's a there's contact and they go down. Yeah. Not backwards. It's just there's a tackle. When David Woodward met the other player, that play ended right there. Which you get it's one of those things you're only gonna see on film, but those tackles were all good. You know, spectacular. He had three and a half for a loss and a sack. It's like this is yeah, and this is kind of what we expect out of David Woodward, right? Yeah. Obviously not to this level every game, but I mean this is what you expect when you have an all American level linebacker on yeah. your team, right? Yeah, and he's he's just completely irrelevant because you look at him out on the field, you don't think that guy is a terrifying presence as a linebacker. He just kinda Yeah, really he has kind of around. a coy demeanor, doesn't he? He kinda yeah. just roams around and he's always in the right position though. Mm-hmm. And he always finds the ball somehow. Yeah, because like uh, you know, I'll be watching. You know, I I watch plays and I think watching Tepanalia and he's messing up the the offensive tackle. Grant, I don't know where he was in this game. I didn't so, really see him. Yeah, let let's shift to that real quick then, because I I mean we could talk about David Woodward forever, but um, another area that we thought would be pretty strong is the front seven as a whole. And wh- where was part of the front seven for this game? They were okay, not as good as I was expecting. <clears throat> it's getting you choked up there or something. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. It's like David Woodward was awesome. They set him up well. But Tipanali didn't seem to make a, a super impact. They didn't get a ton of a pass rush. Yeah. Which surprised me. And they did really well in the goal line stand, like right at the end of the game. And they actually held him on down. So, I th- like I said, the front seven played all right. I mean... Wake Forest averaged, like, I think under four yards a a carry in this game or something to that effect. I think less than four yards a carry, which is good. Right. And Cade Carney, for, you know, saying he had a good game, averaged 4.2, which is average maybe slightly below. Mm -hmm. So they did, again, okay. A few bad plays, but you're going to see that out of pretty much every front seven. I think just the, the biggest... Issue with the front seven I had would be the lack of a pass rush. Hmm. So, and the thing is, that pass rush is going to have to make up for a lot. Granted, they still had four sacks, so I mean, if you say bad it's, pass rush, they sacked yeah. him four it's, times. Yeah, still a pretty good number. But, you know, you can get four sacks, and those will be the four times they pressure the quarterback all day. Right. So, that pass rush is really going to have to be a factor for Utah State this season because we've seen how poor the secondary is and how thin it is. Mm-hmm. The pass rush is really going to have to show up, and the front seven is really going to have to show up in a lot of games this season. So do you think it was just maybe an, an elusiveness between um, – because, I mean, Jamie Newman really didn't have the greatest game carrying the ball. And I guess you couldn't say Cave Carney is necessarily the most elusive player either. So no, he's not. What do you think maybe kind of disrupted what Utah State was trying to do on the pass? Or pass rush, excuse me. Um, I don't know if I could tell you. I mean, just just didn't go their way. Yeah, just, they just didn't get pressure. And maybe it maybe it's just one of those games. It it just didn't go their way. It's the first game of the season. Um, maybe they're still trying to work out some things, and you know. Yeah, I know. Last year they worked really well with blitzes and a lot of corner blitzes, and they were really effective in that. Mm-hmm. I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to the defensive film when I rewatched the game, so I, I can't tell you a whole lot of the things the defense did other than what David Woodward did. Sure. He um, kind of stood out. Because that's, that's, that's one of the players I really watched closely. I didn't – it's a lot harder to watch the secondary and things like that. Yeah. Um, I think it just came down to the fact that, you know, when you have a secondary that's letting guys open and you can just throw to guys, 
and they can go up there and get it, it's a lot harder for the pass rush. Because like with Utah State, they throw the ball so quickly you never get a chance to tackle Jordan Love. Yeah. So. Okay, so speaking of Jordan Love, let's kind of switch gears a little bit and uh, let's take on a new segment idea that we're going to try out to this week. Um, of maybe, you know, it's the first week of the season. People like to overreact to some things. It's, you know, a bad loss again on the road. They're, I believe Daniel and I were doing the math last night. They're seventh or eighth uh, in a row. Um, so so let, let's overreact a little bit and say, um, let's say something about Jordan Love. What, what do you have to say about Jordan Love? Yeah, you, so my overreaction <laughs> is, uh, you so... And I'm probably gonna be writing something about this, so you can see this in written form, a little more eloquent. But Stay generally, tuned for the USC <laughs> so you know, I thought this was coming in, and I said this a lot during our kind of preview things that Utah State's gonna rely a lot on Jordan Love, and we saw that Friday. You're gonna see that continually. Maybe not against Stony Brook because it, it might be a bit of a blowout. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> but I think we're gonna see Jordan Love averaging close to 40 attempts per game which is a lot but i, I you know 40, especially 48 in, in this game yeah and he averaged 32 last year yeah sitting out 13 quarters right you know eight attempts per game that's that's not a far cry maybe it'll be slightly less but the the main thrust of that though is the eventual season totals that jordan love may have you're looking at 500 plus attempts He'd be the first ever to do that if he did at Utah State. We're looking at potentially the first 4,000-yard passer in Utah State history. Um, if he really goes all out on touchdowns, he might reach 40. That's a real bit of a stretch. That's hard. It'll be hard for him to do. Yeah. But the one thing that I noticed, I, I happen to look this up, since the start of 2018, in games where he throws at least 30 passes, so not 40, we're talking about 30, He's averaging 393 yards, hmm. has 21 total touchdowns and seven interceptions. So hmm. you're looking at about, there goes my phone, probably a telemarketer. I don't know, somebody here. from Salt Lake City wants to talk to me apparently. But yeah, so 390 plus yards, 21 touchdowns, about three a game. So this is this is seven games we're talking about, uh, seven different games thrown into an average. So about a three to one TD to interception ratio nearly 400 yards a game, 65 completion percentage. Yeah. Like, and you, you stretch that over a 13-game season, so including a bowl game, you're looking at 5,000 yards, almost 40 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. Okay, so let me play a little bit of devil's advocate then. Looking at last year's schedule compared to this year's schedule, do you think that has a big part to play in that? Not so much as one might think, because you look at those seven games, that includes Michigan State, Mm-hmm. Boise State, North Texas, mm-hmm. Air Force, all the toughest all games over 300 yards. are all included. Yep. And then now two of them that are included that are San Jose State and New Mexico. Sure. Which for some reason, I don't know why, th- which is probably explains <laughs> why he threw for 490 yards against New Mexico and like 400 and something against, mm-hmm. like 460 against San Jose State. So the, those games obviously really bolster that average. I think right. if you exclude those games, he's averaging like 360. Still in, not bad. Yeah, and that's I think that narrows down to about four games. So, again, the 390 yards is a real stretch. But 360, that's not too far out of the question. 
especially if you're throwing the ball upwards of 40 times a game. Yeah, and that's the thing. We're looking at a ton of volume for Jordan Love because they're going to be relying on him. They view him as a Heisman candidate. Hmm. You know, even if I disagree with that, hmm. yeah. they're going to they're gonna have him throw like he's a Heisman candidate. And maybe if he puts up these kind of numbers, he'll actually be in the conversation. I've got a 5,000-yard thrower. you got to be in the conversation. Sure. But just, just all this volume, we're going to see perhaps it's possible. I'm not going to predict it. But it's very possible that we could see a legendary Utah State quarterback season in terms of season totals. So let me ask you one question off that then. If you were to give me all those stats and ask me how many wins Utah State's going to get this season, if they're over-under set at, let's say, eight, if Jordan Love throws for over 4,000 yards, does that take their win total over eight or below eight? I don't know if it really affects the season total. That's the problem because really? you look at these games, the the four games I mentioned, like they're against the tough opponents. Yeah, he's one and three. Mm-hmm. So and he's like three and four, I think, overall in those games. I I I could be wrong on that. So as far as win totals, I don't know how much that's mm-hmm. truly impacting. It's just going to be a good season statistically. Yeah. <laughs> if he throws for four thousand, I can't imagine the Aggies will um, win less than eight games. Mm-hmm. You're putting it right on where I think they'd land. It's yeah. right about eight games. Because you don't throw for 4,000, 4,500 yards without at least having a decent winning season. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm trying to think of an example. I mean, even like Hawaii last year still won, I believe, eight games. With... Yeah, they went, they went to a bowl game, and McDonald, yeah, threw for a crazy amount of yards. Yeah. So, Interesting. We're going to see a pretty good season, I think, from Jordan Love. Okay, so uh, another... another uh, <laughs> area where we might have a little bit of an overreaction after the first game. Um, already last year, there was some questions about Utah State secondary. Um, not necessarily with the personnel, but just statistically, it was their worst part of the defense last year. Um, then you go into Friday night's game, <laughs> and basically the unthinkable happens, and almost nobody in the secondary can you know, hold their own, and they get torn up. I think that's going to be a common theme throughout the season. I don't think it's going to be as blatant as it was in that game because, like we mentioned earlier, they're not going to face nearly as many receivers that are just overmatched. But um, when you look at that secondary core, besides maybe DJ Williams as being you know a, a good corner in his own right for for you know what he does, um, and then even somebody like Troy Leffridge actually had a pretty good game um, playing kind of that free safety role. What else is there? Where where can you point to in that secondary and say, okay, this was a fluke. We're going to come back next week, and these guys are going to show up for us. Well, Shaq Bond, I, I'm actually pretty high on Shaq Bond. You think so? The thing is, you know, coming into the season, I said we've got about three quarters of a secondary. Maybe like three and a half out of five. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that half person yeah. comes in. Maybe like an inexperienced like freshman or sophomore sure. kind of counts as Somebody half. like Cam Lampkin maybe. Yeah. It's it's more in the depth, and it showed against Wake Forest because a lot of guys got banged up. We we're missing one of our starting corners, in uh, Cameron Haney. So the, the depth of the thing is going to hurt Utah State the most. The fact that they have a couple of good players, but nobody else. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to impact them a ton in Mountain West play, except, unfortunately, for the biggest games. <laughs> so do you think in some of those games, because I'm being slightly facetious here, um, some of the games like against a Hawaii or, um, you know, somebody who likes to throw the ball a little bit more. 
do you think maybe they'll struggle there but be fine basically in all the rest of the games? Because like you're saying, the Mountain West isn't necessarily the, the highest passing conference in the, in, in the nation. Yeah, that's why I say I don't think it'll hurt them as much. Hawaii, we might see the uh, McDonald throw for, well, I, don't know if they, I don't know if they're going to replace him. I heard rumblings they yeah. might replace him, even though he threw for 350 yards or whatever. Yeah. But oh, the thing is Wyoming, or sorry, uh, I don't know where I pulled Wyoming out of. <laughs> Hawaii. Two very different places. Yeah, two. Uh, I mean, they couldn't be. <laughs> what a juxtaposition <laughs> that is. <laughs> um, Hawaii might throw for a lot of yards, but they're not actually, I don't think they're going to be that good. Yeah. It'll probably be like a lot of the last few years where Utah State just tears them apart on offense and then just kind of absorbs whatever they do on, on um, you know, whatever they do on offense, they just kind of absorb that. So... You know, you look at the other teams like Wyoming, they're not going to be a really great passing team. Their strength is in having, you know, a, a dual threat running or a dual threat, a dual threat running back, <laughs> dual threat quarterback. I'm just Wouldn't all that over the place. would that be something? Now. Wow. <laughs> uh, Walter Payton, dual threat running back. Yeah. He had like 15 touchdown passes or something. He had a lot of touchdown passes. I don't remember exactly how many it was, but a lot for a running back. Yeah. I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I can recall that. I know there's a, you know, those Antoine Randall type guys. Yeah. But well, him, him and Jim Brown both had a lot of they, you know, they do a halfback pass because this is the 1960s yeah. and 70s. Yeah. But anyway, aside from a tangent of uh, power backs in the 60s and another, 70s, another but day. yeah, there's not a whole lot of teams that will really take advantage of Utah State's poor secondary outside of maybe a Boise State or um, you know maybe a Fresno State. It just depends, and maybe they'll have good games. Maybe they'll get better. Maybe they'll you know heal up and. And do well, and again, if the pass rush really does its job, that'll make up for a lot of the deficiencies in the secondary. So, it's a bit of a wait and see, but I, I definitely think the secondary is a, it's a very worrying weakness. Yeah. And it's a lot worse than I thought it was. And I think that a lot worse than a lot of us thought it was. Okay, so, switching switching gears a tiny bit here. Um, it's... A group that might be a little bit better than we thought it was, uh, the running back group. Do you think, and we're just going to go really briefly on this because we want to move on some other things. Um, do you think that Jalen Warren will be the top back, let's say, halfway through the season? Probably. I, I think uh, I think Gerald Bright is going to outrush Jalen Warren against Stony Brook because mm-hmm. he's still a starting running back. The coaching staff probably still trusts him. It's just, you know, one game against Wake Forest yeah. where he had like 37 yards on nine rushes. Which isn't terrible. Yeah, it was like 4.1 yards. Carry had a really good touchdown run. Yeah. And even had a really nice um, catch on kind of a swing running back route. Yeah. So there's obviously still some talent there. And I, and I think he'll he'll be the leading rusher against Stony Brook, barring some big breakout run from somebody that ends up, you know, outstripping the near 100-ish yards Jill Bright should have. But I think by the end of the season, you're going to see in, in tougher situations, like against Wake Forest, when the going got tough, they went to Jalen Warren because mm-hmm. he was producing. Mm-hmm. Gerald Bright wasn't. And that's going to happen more and more down the road as you get in these games that are tougher and tougher or just are tough. You know, LSU, BYU, San Diego State, Fresno State, Boise State. You're going to see them rely on the back who produces and has more ability to make plays, and Jalen Warren has more ability to make plays than Gerald Bright does. Yeah. So... You know, that's nothing on Gerald Bright, but I mean, I said this before the year. I didn't think he was going to really match last year's season totals. You're just soaking this in, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Look at Jason trying to be right again. I, I love being right. And 
the fact that I'm right on a lot of things makes me feel good, but people can remind me of the places where I was wrong, like last year when I said Utah oh, State will. should abandon their hurry-up offense. We will. How, how's <laughs> yeah. that going? Not so well. <laughs> <clears throat> was it like 27 touchdowns under a minute? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. And yeah, that's that's my my wrong. And also me saying that Jordan Love would struggle behind the uh, new offensive line. That yeah. was another thing I said. So yeah, You win some, you lose some. Yeah. Like, well, like I said, I, this week I won a lot. Yeah. I've also lost a lot, <laughs> or I've lost, you know, it's just this week I've crammed all my wins into one week. Okay, but you did not lose more than one, let's call them a confederation, a conglomerate, and that's the Mountain West. Why in the world is the Mountain West not recognizing David Woodward? I don't know. It makes no sense. I mean, maybe a lot of people just say it's because it's Utah State. They cater to, I'm going to say they cater to like Wyoming San Diego State, Fresno State, which is like, well, that's everybody except Utah State. Right. <laughs> yeah, especially Boise State, actually. So, I mean, one guy's saying that, you know, Utah State didn't win, so that's why they gave the Defensive Player of the Week to um, the Wyoming kid. Yeah, Elijah Halliburton. Let's just give a little bit of backstory if anybody's unaware. So, obviously, with the performance David Woodward had over the weekend, you'd expect him to be the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Week. Yeah. He was not. He was, however, named to the uh, pro football-focused first team of the week, and he was also named the Chuck Bednarik Defensive Player of the Week. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know how he wins two national recognitions, outperforms um, Elijah in every statistical category except fumbles recovered, mm-hmm. which the, one, the other guy had one and Woodward had zero. Yeah. He could have had one. <laughs> And a third forced He forced fumble. a couple. Yeah. So, yeah, he outperformed him in tackles. Elijah's not even the second leading tackler in the Mountain West. He's the third leading tackler <laughs> in the Mountain West. There's some other guy who had 20 tackles. I think it was either a Nevada or Boise State kid. And, you know, obviously Woodward had more tackles for loss, solo tackles, yada, 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 going down the line. He outperformed him in every way. There's not a single way I can imagine he outperformed that Elijah outperformed David Woodward and yet he wins defensive player of the week. And it goes back to last year. David Woodward was graded by pro football focus as the highest graded linebacker. He was first team all American for, you know, PFF. He was Mm -hmm. third team all American and they gave, he wasn't. And not only did they not give David Woodward defensive player of the year for the mountain West, they gave it to, I think they gave it to Weaver. No, they gave it to... Uh, or they gave it to some other... I believe his name is Jeff Bishop. He was Fresno State linebacker. Okay. But yeah, not only did they not give him the defensive player of the year, which he deserved. Right. They didn't put him on the first team. Like, All-American. It's almost like they should wait for everything else to come out first and then make their predictions yeah. or or their nominations because... Well, they don't need to wait. It's right in front of them. <laughs> it's there. They can see it. They didn't have to wait for Pro Football Focus to say David Woodward had a great week. It was right in front of them. Their own dadgum team in their conference, I should say. And so I have I have a brief and there might not be any correlation between this, but I have a brief um, little bone to pick because um, you and I both covered the basketball team quite a bit last year. And it wasn't until the last or second to last week of the season where Sam Merrill or any Utah State player was the conference player of the week um, as the conference champions, right? And twice a Colorado State player had been named conference player of the week up to that. So 
little uh, conspiracy theory here. Does the Mountain West just neglect to view what Utah State's doing on a week-to-week basis? I think to a degree. The basketball I could a little more understand because that's usually when somebody puts up... Excuse me. Usually that's when somebody puts up two really good games back-to-back. That's what it takes to win Player of the Week in basketball. So I believe in one instance, Sam Merrill had a 30-point game and like a 20-ish point game. And I believe the Colorado State player had uh, like two straight 20-point games. Yeah, so then, then maybe I have a bit more of a case. I, I Maybe you've looked into this more than I have. So Maybe I have a little bit of a bug. <laughs> maybe. But uh, like I said, maybe I understand a little more in basketball. But again, there could be a lot of instances. Uh, so I think the Mountain West just doesn't really view Utah State quite as highly as others. And I was actually very surprised when they ended up giving Utah State as many awards as they did. I mm. thought they weren't going to let it happen where they give yeah. them player of the year, defensive player of the year, freshman of the year, and coach of the year. I mean, you knew they had coach of the year wrapped up in a bag. Yeah. And probably freshman of the year, maybe defensive, but like give them like four of the six. I was skeptical they'd do it and surprised when they did, which mm-hmm. maybe says a lot yeah, about their uh, the voting. So yeah, Maybe they're coming around a little bit, huh? Like, well, they kind of had to because Nevada just wasn't performing as well. Right. And, yeah, there's, there's a whole line of thought we can get into there. But I guess... They definitely missed the boat this week, though. Yeah, so bad. Somebody needs to be fired. <laughs> Maybe not that bad, but somebody needs to reconsider their life choices. <laughs> or just watch more football, guys. Yeah, Come just on, actually, it's that like, simple. Yeah. It's very simple. It's your job. Literally your job. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe it is not somebody's job. Maybe there isn't a person actually watching <laughs> the football. They're just looking at the stat sheets or the box scores and saying, yeah. that team won, who played well, let's nominate Yeah, them. it's just like they take the teams that won and then they pick from that, which is just, I can understand it. I've been in situations where I've, you know, I've been responsible for voting for players and they take winning into account, mm-hmm. like heavily. Like if you know, one team maybe outperformed then like their best player gets elevated above maybe the other team's best player. Like say in basketball, somebody averages 18 points, but he's on the the championship team. Right. The guy who averaged 28 points maybe doesn't get the MVP because he's on the team that went like, you know, 500. It's a, it's a really frustrating thing for me to see that. Cause it's like individual excellence in your team winning is not, no, they're not, not mutually exclusive. Yeah. You, you can see it. You know, you can have like a, uh, Going back into basketball, Wyoming's like leading scorer, I think it was just yeah, Justin James. Jessup, Justin James. Yeah. Um, he was a really good player. Really good player. He just played for a bad team. Yeah. So Well. Hey Mountain West, just do better. That's all we ask. Be better. This is like your one job is to hand out awards and recognize your you recognize your best defensive player and you can't do it. Poor Mountain West. Well, maybe they'll get it right now. I next don't week. feel sorry for the Mountain West anymore. Just I yeah. don't. That's fair enough. <laughs> okay, well, so maybe they'll get it ne- right next week because uh, Utah State will be taking on a far less um, dominant opponent. Well, their starters are only going to play half the game. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so you, you so have a point. So David Woodward is only going to get 12 tackles today, and Jordan Love's only going to throw for 200 yards. I was trying to make a slick transition <laughs> over here, Jason. Come on. I won't allow it. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, that that's basically our, our thoughts on the Wake Forest game. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break, and then we'll be back, and we'll be doing a uh, little bit of a preview for the Stony Brook game this coming weekend. Um, we're gonna do our best to kind of dive into 
who Stony Brook might be, uh, where they're from, anybody's unfamiliar, um, and just kind of give you a little bit of information about so them. For anybody who's unfamiliar, a.k.a. literally everybody. Yep. All right. <laughs> you got it, Jason. We'll be back. Text football to 435-797-2346 for a chance to win two tickets to a USU football home game. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, we are going to just briefly dive into um, this week's opponent, Stony Brook. Uh, first meeting between the two schools. Uh, Stony Brook hails from the great state of New York, uh, traveling all those miles to meet here in Logan, Utah this weekend. Not as good as Utah. New York's not as cool as Utah. Well, I would say probably the majority of the people in this country would disagree with you, but... Well, the majority of people are wrong. <laughs> You're really trying to target the audience here, huh? Yes. Really pandering to the Utah State audience. Well, Utah State fans would probably agree with me, so... That's fair. Good point. So... Do they agree with you? Is Utah State going to dominate Stony Brook? Well, yes, they they very well should. If they don't, I'm going to have more problems with that than the Wake Forest loss. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, Utah State should take them seriously. I mean, you listened to the press conferences past week. They took them seriously, at least in word. Um, so as long as they take them seriously, they'll beat them by, you know, and they play well, they'll beat them by 40 or 50. Um and that would be a, a good result, obviously. Winning by 40 or 50 is pretty much always a good thing. Yeah. Okay, so let, let's let's take a slightly different approach to this then. Um, what do you expect from Utah State coming into this game? Expect them to work on a lot of the things they didn't do so well. They, As far as offense, there's probably not a whole lot for them to work on. The one negative was the, the interceptions. Sure. So maybe for Jordan, another thing to work on is reads, read the defense, progressions. But that's a hard thing to really see as far as stats. You have you really only know that if you're behind the scenes. Right. That's kind of the one thing for Jordan Love to work on. So, And the problem is he may not have to make a ton of those reads because you're playing a team where your wide receivers are beating the guys, and so your first read is the only read you need to make. But we're going to see, like I said, I think Gerald Bright's going to have a really good day. Jordan Love should throw the ball well. Hopefully he doesn't throw any interceptions. I wouldn't expect him to. Yeah. Right? I, I I think, I don't know, if we were to break this down, let's say they run 75 plays, how many of them do you think are going to be running plays? How many of them do you think are going to be passing plays? Do you think they're just going to open up and just basically take this opportunity to explore, you know, some either plays or some, they're probably not going to run a plays that, you know, they, they want to hide for the later in the season, but do you, are they going to use this opportunity to let players that maybe don't have a ton of experience play or what do you yeah, think? Yeah, as far as expanding the offense, I'd say probably the opposite. That really condense a lot of things. Yeah, probably. I mean, a lot of players, assuming it's a blowout, which that's never a good thing to assume, but if we're assuming that, it's we're going to... a safe assumption. Yeah. We're going to see a lot of... We might see the offensive line staying a little longer to give them some more experience. So we might see the starting offensive line protecting Henry Columbia and maybe even a couple snaps of Peasley. But we'll see some of the main guys. We'll see Jordan Love come out. We'll probably see... We might see a little bit more of Warren. They might give him some more snaps. Well, like I said, Gerald Bright's going to get a lot of starting snaps and a lot of the the big rushes in the game. But then we'll see some of the real backup running backs and some of the – because they've got some inexperience, at, you know, in place like the wide receivers. You'll see Devin Tompkins, I think, get some really good snaps. 
they'll try and work other guys and give them some really good experience because maybe they'll be relying on those guys later in the year. They'll probably also pull a lot of their corners early if it's a blowout, just to keep them healthy. And again, maybe give some of those really young freshmen some time to develop. So this this is a time where, A, they can rest a little bit, and it's also heading into a bye week. And they'll try and get some experience in areas where they have some inexperience. Again, wide receiver, offensive line, maybe a little bit at running back. Um, so those are some of the things I think you can expect. Again, I'm not in the coach's mind, so I can't I can't predict sure, these accurately. Sure. But it should be a, a week where they can really get an extra week of practice to fix up on the things that they did wrong against Wake Forest, practice them a little bit in a real-life setting against Stony Brook, and then come away with your first win of the season, ideally. So if you're a Utah State fan, that's what we're looking forward to, right? Just a, a, an absolute domination of the the opponent. Yeah, that's the, if I'm a fan, that's what I'm expecting. And if I don't get it, I'm disappointed because that's what Utah State, if they're as good as we think they are, that's what they should do. And the only reason they wouldn't is if there's a colossal number of disasters like injuries that happen. Yeah. Do you think this game's coming at a good time in the season or a bad time in the season? I don't know if it's really either. I mean, you're coming off a loss, and whenever you come off a, a loss and you have a chance to really kind of take your anger out on an inferior opponent, it can mm-hmm. be a good thing. I think it was nice for Utah State to come off Michigan State and play New Mexico State and Tennessee Tech right off the bat. Kind of turn around the season just immediately. Yeah, they go into their next tough game, I think, Air Force 3-2-1. and or two and one. Was it Air Force? They play somebody else. Uh, let me double-check on that. So, yeah, you get a chance to rest and recover a little bit. You're not having to go all, all out for as long. I mean, they played four tough quarters against Wake Forest. If they play their cards right, they'll only have to play two and a half tough quarters at most. So, it, and it works well going into their bye week because, again, they can work on so many of the things that they need to work on. They actually had two kind of uh, tune-up games. They had the New Mexico State yeah, and so then they New had Mexico State and Tech, Tennessee, Tennessee Tech, Tech back-to-back. And, and then it was Air Force. And then it was Air Force, yeah. So yeah. yeah, so I was right there, so... Yes, they have two tune-up games there, and they'll they'll only get one, then they'll get a bye week. And then they'll play, I think, San Diego State. Yeah, so So. that's what I'm wondering. Do you you feel like this is, the, I guess, the perfect opportunity to play somebody like this? Because San Diego State will be a tough game, especially on the road. Great defense, you know, one of the best in the conference. They're going to have to come into that game, you know, tip-top. Yeah. You know, like the best they can be. I think especially given the, the problems in the secondary that, a lot of them tied to injuries. Having like a half buy again, we keep saying this. But yeah, you, you don't want to underestimate. You can't underestimate fully, them because otherwise you're going to go zero and two with a loss to Stony Brook, and yep. that's just all kinds of awful. Good luck getting any recognition then. But again, if you can pull it off, then you're looking at basically a bye week and a half for a lot of these players, especially the secondary, and you're getting experience for a lot of younger secondary players who may end up playing a factor later in the season. So that that's the biggest area where it's a benefit. As far as other areas, there's not much. Again, like wide receivers, but we're already fine at wide receivers, so yeah. there's not as much worry. So it's coming at a good time for Utah State. It's not a spectacular time, but it's it's good. Cool. Well, I don't know. I feel like 
There's there's not much else to say about. Th- there's this really game. not much else to say about this game. There's nothing to say about an FCS team that you should beat sixty to ten. Because yeah. if you don't beat them sixty to ten, it's a problem. If you do beat them sixty to ten, it's unremarkable, and it's really hard to take the stats seriously. Yeah, you don't want to end up on one of those ESPN classic films where you're Appalachian State and you're Michigan, and Michigan's just at least Appalachian State was good. That's true. I mean, they were hey, like so they were bring... like uh, several time like national champion. Yeah, like no. I think back then it was double A or whatever they call it. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Anyways, we'll we'll, we'll be tuning into the game. It'll be. Uh, We'll be at the games. You can follow us. Yeah, we'll be at the game. Follow us on uh, social media at the Utah Statesman. We'll be tweeting live updates, tweeting little bits of analysis throughout the game, and then obviously you can pay attention to some post-game coverage after that and uh, a pre-game show before the game. So um, look forward to all that coming out from uh, from your friends at the Utah State. Yeah, it'll be fun. So, yeah, thanks thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, Thank you for your patience for us being off for a month. We hope we hope we haven't lost all of you. Yeah. <laughs> we are building up an audience. We're really grateful for that. So yeah. thank you for uh taking the time to listen to a couple of college kids talk about their uh their team that they're covering. Yeah. And and don't 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 uh, hesitate to reach out on uh social media and tell us anything that you got that guys would like to see um in the future on the show, any future guests or any segment ideas or just general comments and complaints. Um kind of would like to make this more of a forum for everybody to participate in so feel free to reach out that's uh utah statesman at twitter and uh i am at dren underscore sports if you want to reach me and jason you're at at the jwonk 67 awesome well we'll catch you again uh next week thanks guys